finishing up with that, we'll go ahead and get started. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, if you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, week four on Christian ethics, the understanding of how we are to live and who we are to be as God's people, people that have been saved and raised to new life. So we've talked so far about humility and we've talked about purity and we've talked about mercy and compassion and this week we're going to talk about the thing that everybody loves to talk about that is discipline that is our favorite word we love it and when we think of growing up and what discipline meant for us discipline is always what we wanted our parents to um, show us we always wanted our parents to discipline us because we knew that it was good for our souls and it made us into better people am I right we loved the time when mom and dad were going to set us straight. We looked forward to it. Some of us created those situations on a regular basis. But we're talking about discipline today probably from a different understanding than you have ever understood it. And you will probably never think of discipline the same again after today, I hope. That is my goal. Before we open and we begin to read, would you join me in prayer as we we pray for God's word over us today? Father God, as we come to you this morning, we come to you acknowledging that we don't know everything. Sometimes we find comfort in telling ourselves that we know all the answers and we have life figured out. But in the reality of our day-to-day life, it is very clear even to us that we don't always know what you are up to. And we don't always understand the way in which you work. But God, one thing that we can believe in, we can know in, and we can trust in, and we can be confident in is that you are always aware of our situation. That when we don't know deep within us what we need, you as our creator already have the answers. That when we can't figure out the direction that we are to take next, you as our guiding light are always set before us if we will trust you and we will follow you. God, this morning as we open your word, Through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you open it for our ears to hear, for our hearts to understand, and for our eyes to see in our lives where you are moving and where you are calling your people. God, would you give your word life for us this morning, that it might revive those who are tired, that it might empower those who are weak, God, that it might encourage the timid and might give joy to those who are desperately seeking. Open your word for us this morning, for we are your people, and we desire to hear from you. We pray all this in the precious holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Stuart Weber said that the Bible knows nothing of an isolated individual Christian. Nowhere in all the pages of Scripture will you see someone that Jesus has called and then has set out 
on their own for this journey of faith. But in each instance that we find in scripture of God's people, we see where God has prepared several people for a journey. Even the people that he has called for spectacular things such as Moses and Noah. All of these people had a support group around them. So that it was never dependent on them in order to get it right, in order to be successful and to be faithful in their walk with Christ. Accountability and relational community are critical to the life of a believer. Would you agree with a statement like that? That accountability and relational community are critical to the life of a believer. So I remember growing up, one of the things that we used to always do every homecoming week is we would have uh, what we'd call homecoming wars. And it was the junior class against the senior class. And the junior class would always try to uh, recruit some of the sophomores so that they have more manpower. Uh, but preparations for the battles of the week would begin months in advance when teenagers would set out in their vehicles across town to every convenience store bathroom to steal the toilet paper. And home week, homecoming week would come, and it was your job to see who could roll as many houses as possible of, of the other class uh, by the end of the week. Uh, and it was such a big thing that the county sheriff got involved, not in the way that you would think of catching us and stopping us, but directing traffic around the block so that we were uninterrupted in our endeavors. It was great fun. It was a big community thing. And I remember one year, my junior year, a group of seniors had spent so much time collecting toilet paper throughout the year. And yes, they stole it. Let's just go ahead and clear the air there. They didn't take it the right way, but they, they took it. Anyways, they're seniors. They were bad. We were juniors. We were good. They had so much toilet paper that a spare bedroom at one of them's house, you nearly couldn't walk into because there was so much toilet paper. They were prepared for battle. And they had rolled uh, some of the junior class's houses so bad that you could barely see the house from all the toilet paper hanging out of the trees. One morning I had walked out of my house to go to school and uh, my two best friends who also lived in the neighborhood right across the street from me were one grade above me. So my junior year, they were the seniors and, and I walked out to go to school and my truck was wrapped in no less than 50 rolls of saran wrap. Now, normally that would be frustrating, but I had to stand there for a minute and, and stand in amazement and admiration of the work that they had done. And I had thought, is there a way that I can drive this to school so that people can see this? Uh, there's not. Uh, so I attempted to start cutting my way through the saran wrap uh, and eventually just to give up. And then I had to do the ultimate thing of humility. And I had to ride with one of them who just had wrapped my truck to school or I was going to be late. And I say all this to tell you that those were some pretty magnificent weeks and some great work was done on those weeks, but none of those things could have been so successful if only one person had set out to do them. It would have taken one person days to roll a house to the degree that some of these houses were rolled. It would have taken one person hours to wrap a truck in 50 rolls of saran wrap. It is the same way with our Christian walk. There are so many things that we are going to encounter. There are so many things that we are going to be engaged in in our Christian walk that if we try to do it on our own, we are either going to be unsuccessful or it is going to take us so much longer to accomplish what God is wanting us to learn. Case in point. 
One of the greatest things about belonging to a church and a community of believers is we can learn things that we don't know from the other people that are in our midst. Has anybody in here ever learned anything about God from somebody else? Imagine how long that would take if you had to learn it on your own. Now, I will tell you, growing up, I learned a lot of things very quickly by watching my sister's example. I learned a lot of things that you don't do that or don't do it that way. Or if you're going to do that, don't at least brag about it in front of your mom and dad. I learned a lot of things that I could avoid uh, frustrations and trials and hard times in life because I watched her example. Now, had I not had her example and I'd had to do it on my own, life probably would have been a little bit different. It would have taken me a little bit longer to get to this grand place of wisdom that I now find myself. Don't laugh at that one. But in this passage where Jesus is talking with his disciples, he begins a conversation when they ask the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom, by not pointing it at somebody else as an example But instead, he goes through and he begins to list the characteristics of what a new life looks like. And he does this for a reason. First, he wants his disciples to hear what the greatest of the kingdom, greatest person in the kingdom looks like. But also, he wants each of the disciples to understand the the things of themselves that they still need to work on. The areas of their life that they still need to hand control over. So we're going to read in this passage or in this um, passage of scripture here. If you got your Bible, we're going to read verses fourteen through twenty. Verse fourteen: In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. And if other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. And then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. i got to pause right there. Can you imagine Matthew, who was a corrupt tax collector, and Jesus just said that? I I wonder if Jesus just kind of looked up at him and all the other disciples were like, I just I think about that. I tell you the truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. There's the statement that we have been working to for the past three weeks Where two or more are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. It is a a statement that many of us have heard many times. We have probably proclaimed that statement at different times in our lives. But as we're going to see from today, it's not always as it seems. We've discovered that happens quite a bit in, in scripture, isn't it? So the first thing that I want us to notice and I want us to point out is verse 15 right there says, if another believer sins against you, some of your Bibles will have asterisks outside of sins against you. Did you know that most manuscripts do not even contain the words sins against you? Instead, they would say if another believer sins, 
then this is how you are to pursue them. Now, the neat thing about this addition of the words is that it doesn't necessarily change the meaning of what Jesus was saying, but it adds another element to it. Because what it does is it gives us an understanding of what we are to do when a believer in our community sins, but also how we are to act if perhaps we are the victim of somebody else's actions. But what we're going to learn is that just like every other thing we have learned for the past three weeks, it is not centered around us. And I know sometimes that is hard for us to hear is that everything that Jesus does and everything that is happening in God's word is not with us at the center. That God is not revolving around us and for our glory and for our, our opinions and for our preferences. But all of these things are done for the sake of God's kingdom. That God would be glorified. That God would become the center not only of the individual believer's life but also of the people that are around them. So most manuscripts don't even contain the words against you. And we're going to look at this from the aspect of if those words were not there. So if another believer sins, how are you to approach them? Verses, 18, or verses 19 and 20 are taken out of context more than any other passage of Scripture in the Bible. Did you know that? Verses 19 and 20. I'll read those for you again. I tell you this, if two or three of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. I can tell you as a teenager, we use that verse a lot. Guys, I found this really sweet truck that I wanted. I need you to pray with me that God will give it to me. Guys, we really need to do good on this hunting trip. I think we should pray together that we have a successful hunting trip. You ever done that with this passage before? Maybe if we all pray for it, it will happen. So it's taken out of context so much. This verse is about one thing. It's about what everything else we've talked about is. It is about that new life. Jesus said, greatest is the one in the kingdom who understands the new life. And this passage is about discipline. And it's about the pursuit of a fellow believer who has begun to stray into sin. Has anybody ever woken up excited about that? Today is the day we're going to pursue people who are falling into sin. Has anybody ever once thought that when they woke up? Ever? Does anybody get excited about thinking about that? It's an uncomfortable thing sometimes to think about, isn't it? That we're going to go and we're going to tell somebody, Hey, um, you got this area of sin in your life. But why are we so uncomfortable with it? If we're going to be honest with ourselves, why are we so uncomfortable with that verse? Because most of us understand there's something in our own life that we need to work on. Am I right? Who am I to point out the wrongs of others when I have my own problems? Who am I to tell somebody else that they're not living right if I know I'm not living right? Do you see the bigger problem with that? We know we're not living right and we justify it by letting other people do whatever they want to and being okay with it. Is that a kingdom-focused mentality? Is that a, a God's kingdom-first mindset? Is that a mindset that is living with a new way of life? You see, the problem is, though, is that as believers, it is easier for us to pursue people that we don't much care for. It's easier for us to point out the wrongs of people that we have something to prove to. It is easier for us to go after people who may not turn around and point something out 
of our own. But you see, the thing about Christian community is that it is a group of believers who are living together, who are choosing, understand that word, choosing to do life together for one purpose, to see God glorified more in their own lives. When Solomon and David and, and all these other wise people were writing uh, the words of Proverbs and, and as David and other people were writing the Psalms, there's one statement that uh, shows up very frequently that I, I love to see and I love to read it and I love to think about it, but sometimes it stings when it happens in real life. It says, a fool will reject correction, but a wise person will always accept when they are rebuked. Is anybody here ever like having their wrongs pointed out to them? Anybody here ever like being told, hey, you messed up on that, or hey, you're wrong on that? We don't like that, do we? What is the first thing about a life that is new in Christ? Humility. The allowing ourselves to be seen or to be shown the things of our lives that are not what God has said as part of a new life. And so here, uh, when we talk about pursuing one another who has strayed into sin, we struggle sometimes with understanding that or with following that because we know that we don't have our life together. And we say, well, hey, if I at least claim the fact that my life is not together, then I don't have to worry about pointing out their sins and they can do their thing and I'll do my thing and we'll all grow in God together. But you notice scripture never says that. Scripture never says you as my people get together and do your thing. And as long as you rejoice in me and you do some stuff and put my name on it, we'll be good. We don't see that in scripture, do we? Prophet Isaiah, that's what his whole ministry was about. He would say, you know, um, God has sent me to tell you this message. And I know you don't want to hear it. Um, but he's really kind of sick of the hollow worship. He's really kind of sick of you uh, having all these parties and having all these worship services and saying that it's about me, but yet you're not doing anything in an attempt to know me or to grow in me. You see, the whole point of this community of faith, of growing together, is to learn from one another, is to keep one another from falling back into the ways of that old life before Christ was there. And it's all a choice. We can't legislate one another to follow Christ. We can't legislate morality among believers or among non-believers. Following Jesus Christ is completely a choice. But Jesus said, greatest is the one in the kingdom of heaven who is humble. Who is humble and trusts that God's ways are higher than their ways. Greatest is the one in the kingdom of heaven who is pure in their intentions so that everything they do is for the sake of God's kingdom. And greatest is the one in the kingdom of heaven who shows mercy because they have been shown mercy. So now Jesus says, greatest is the one in the kingdom of heaven who lives in discipline. Who understands that it is necessary to discipline themselves. It is necessary to join in a community of believers who will help guide them through accountability. And so Jesus says, greatest is the one in the kingdom of heaven, in this case, who work for the rescue and the redemption of one who has begun to fall away. That's a noble sounding cause, isn't it? 
I've always wanted to be that person who had the ability to go to a brother who was stumbling and say, hey, this is going on in your life. And we need, you know, almost like a spiritual intervention. It is a lot easier to do it in my head than it is to do it in person. Because usually the people that you choose to go after can go, oh, yeah? Well, what about you and this, Mr. Man? And you're like, we're not talking about me here, Chad. We're talking about you. This is a tough thing, and Jesus knows it. It's a tough thing. Verses 19 and 20 are not meant to give a scriptural account of prayer. I can't tell you how many times people say, as believers, to up the ante, we need to join together in prayer and God will hear our prayers. We need to get together and pray so that God will see and hear our prayers. Here's the deal. That is true, that God hears the prayers when two or three people are gathered together. But he hears them the same as he hears when 500 people gather together. Just as well as he does when one person lifts him up in prayer. And here's the way that I know that. Throughout Jesus' ministry when he prayed, what did he do? He went off alone, right? And so if our prayers were less effective when we pray by ourselves than they are when we're together with a group of people, what does that mean? That everything that happened in Jesus' life and ministry just happened by chance. Because one person praying with as much as he had going on, surely God didn't hear that, am I right? So we cannot take this passage of scripture and deduce it down simply as a guide to prayer in order to help us feel better. So one of the things that um, we tend to do as people, uh, when we want something to happen, we do what? We, we politic, right? We lobby people to get them on our side so that they will think the same way we do or at least they will, will vote or, or hope or act the same way that we would want them to. And honestly, this is a passage of scripture that we allow our sinful self, we allow part of the old life to influence because we think that if we get people on our side, God will listen to us a little bit better. But did you know that if you have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ, that you have been called his own, you have been set apart, and you have been considered as one of his children. Remember that passage of scripture when you cry out, Abba, Father? Abba, the very informal term for daddy or dad. Something that you would call somebody that you have an intimate connection with. It is not a formal Dear Jesus or dear God, would you hear us to my prayer? It's no, Dad, I'm, I'm struggling. Dad, I need your help. Dad, please hear me. That is the way that God hears our prayers. So don't ever deduce down the thought of praying or the effectiveness of prayer to be something that you need other people on your side before you go to God and you do that. James chapter 5, verse 14. I want to read uh, verses 14 and 18 through you real quick. It says, are any of you sick? Call for the elders of the church. Come and pray over you, anointing you in the name of the Lord. And such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are. 
And yet when he prayed, he prayed earnestly so that no rain would fall and none fell for three and a half years. One person praying for no rain. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. So the prayers of one person are very grateful. You say, Matt, what does this have to do with discipline? The prayers of one person are very effective. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you see the need for discipline there? Our prayer life is something that requires discipline because it is effective. And if it is effective for us, then it can be effective for those that we are praying for. Verse 18 and 19. I want you to look at verse 18 again. It says, <clears throat> sorry, I'm sorry, verse 19. It says, I tell you this, if, if two of you agree here on earth, if God will endorse, God will supply the strength and the necessary power to the actions of a believer who pursues another that is straying into sin. One of the most uncomfortable things we can do in our walk with one another if we are praying about it, if we are approaching that person, then God will give us the strength that is necessary to be successful. But, 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 that is only when it is done from a place of genuine love. How many of you as children, when your parents disciplined you, you, you thought it was done out of genuine love? Anybody? Nobody. I'll tell you this. When Will turned 12, I realized that every spanking and act of discipline that I got, I deserved. And that my parents were very, very merciful. I learned, I learned that age comes with wisdom thing. So when we pursue another believer who is straying into sin out of a genuine love for both God and that brother or that sister, God takes notice of that. God takes notice of that and he doesn't necessarily take notice for the fact that he heralds us as this great righteous prayer warrior and seeker of the lost. No, if we are doing it for the right reason, God takes notice of that. If we're not seeking personal accolades or recognition, we don't want other people to see us going after that person. And then Jesus says that God will sustain you in that endeavor. That God will realize that you are working on behalf of his kingdom. Doing the same work that Jesus did and he will sustain you. And if we are pursuing that person out of pure motives. As in we're doing that for the well-being of the other individual. And not for self-justice. I heard a statement the other day and I want to share with you. I've shared it a few times. It says, being offended in the life of a believer, meaning a person who has proclaimed a new life in Christ and salvation in Christ, to, to say that you are offended shows evidence of the manifestation of Satan in control of your life. That sounds really weird, doesn't it? The world tells us if you're offended, get justice, right? Uh, but this person was saying that is, if you claim to be a Christian and yet you claim to be offended then you have allowed Satan to take control over your life. You say, well, Matt, what does that mean? It's very simple. That a person who is living in the new life is not living for who? Themselves. They're not living for their own well-being, but they understand that God has already got that in control and they are living for Christ's purpose. They are living for the goals of Christ. Remember that thing John Wesley said about allow me to be used, to be poured out as necessary? 
How can you be offended and seeking your own justice and being poured out and being used all at once? So when we pray and we begin to pursue another believer, if we are doing that for their well-being because we want them to be restored, because we want them to be rescued from the sin, then God hears that. And God gives strength to that. And then finally, if we are doing it within the realm of spiritual guidelines, there's a right way and there's a wrong way to pursue somebody who is falling into sin. You go by yourself first and you say, hey, I've noticed this is, this is happening in your life. You know, I, maybe you've been there. You say, you know, I, I know what that's like and I, I want to tell you what's going to be waiting for you if you continue that. That doesn't work. Then you grab somebody else that they have a relationship with. You see, we struggle in the Christian world with that aspect too. About having the type of community and relationship with somebody that we're willing to go and approach them. We're comfortable approaching them with something that confronts them so face on. But when God says when people do this for the right reasons, then God will be among them. And love covers a multitude of sin. You've heard that statement before, right? Love covers a multitude of sin. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. So greatest is the one in the kingdom of heaven who has been rescued and who lives as someone who has been rescued. If you're drowning at sea and you've been rescued, if you truly understand what you were rescued from, you're not going to go jump back in the ocean, are you? If you truly understand what has happened and what could have happened, you're not going to go back to what was, will you? But you will set out in this new way. So Jesus tells his disciples, greatest is the one in the kingdom of heaven who was once here. Realized that now because of what Jesus has done, they are here. And because of that, their new goal is to take the others that are still over here and bring them to where they are. And when somebody starts moving back to the old life, they do everything that is necessary because they understand what has happened. So when Jesus says two or more, he's talking about the church's ability to avoid sin and to walk with each other along the way. That's what it means to walk and to live in a Christian ethic, a Christian mindset, and a building of our character that establishes everything about us for the sole purpose that Jesus Christ would be glorified in everything that we do. That every word that we speak would have purpose that other people might hear the message of salvation and understand what it means to be born again. When we walk with a Christian ethic, we don't walk as the world walks. Justice is not about our own, but it is about what Jesus Christ has done in the life of another person. Humility is not about presenting ourselves in a way that people like us, but it is about understanding that God's ways are greater than our ways. And that it's not natural for us to accept that. But because of Jesus Christ, we respond to that. So we've talked about Christian ethics. The character in which we are going to live. 
the Bible knows nothing about an isolated individual Christian. I want to ask you this morning, are you attempting to do this walk on your own? That you have set yourself to keeping to your own business, hopefully that other people would stay out of your business. Or are you acknowledging where you once were and you're willing to do whatever is necessary that you would never again become as you once were? My challenge for you is this, to think about the purpose of community. Why does God call us together here on this place? Why does God tell us to join together in worship? It's not because he's insecure and he wants to see more people in worship on Sunday morning so that he can get a head count of who's, being, uh, who's doing it right. It's for your sake. When we worship God, we benefit. When we worship together, we benefit. So my challenge for you is to ask yourself, are you trying to live as an individual Christian so that you can avoid the discipline that is necessary to be sustained in your walk? Or are you willing to walk with other believers to hear when God is telling you, perhaps through the life of another, something that you need to know or that you need to change? And then are you going to be willing to listen when Christ has called you to follow? Will you join me as I pray? Father God, we rejoice in the fact that the grace that you have given us through Jesus Christ is not something that is reserved only for the upright. But yet it is a grace that is given to those in the darkest places of sin. God, that the love that you showed us on the cross is not a love that is kept only for those who are deserving, but it is given to all who would receive. God, this morning, we are here from all different walks of life, from all different stages of our faith journey, from all different conditions of the heart. And yet your love is still the same. And the new life that you have promised us through your son, Jesus Christ, is available for any person who would ask for it. And God, I ask this morning that for those here who have already made that connection and who have already realized what you have done on their behalf, God, that you would place within them a desire to live into it fully. Not to settle for a lesser version because it's more comfortable. Not to try and stay away from others because it means less discomfort. But God, to be willing to endure whatever would come their way in order that they might experience you more. So God, I pray your spirit over your people this morning. For those who may not yet have established themselves in a new life in your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that your spirit would continue to work on them. To open their eyes 
that they might see you moving in their life, to open their ears, that they might hear you when you whisper in the midst of the noise, to open their hearts to receive, to understand that the love of Jesus Christ is a love that isn't dependent on their worthiness to earn it, but it is given freely by your goodness and through your grace. God, we rejoice in your goodness. May we walk as your people in the newness of life that has been given through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his precious and holy name. Amen.